Would you like me to seduce you? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Of all the gin joints and all the towns in all the world, he walks in a mind. Why the rum always Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's a trap! Hey guys, welcome to the Celluloid Fiends podcast. We really appreciate you listening, and you know what? We would also really appreciate if you went to the iTunes store, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can also check us out at Celluloid Fiends on Facebook and Twitter. And you can follow me at Mitchell C. Long on Twitter and Instagram, and you can read my writing on film, TV, and more at cupofmo.com. Tonight, as always, I am joined by my wonderful co-host. What up, celluloid fiends? This is Gabriel Orto. If you want to go ahead and give us a like on Facebook, that would be great. And we have a special guest in the studio who has joined us before. Hey, celluloid fiends, it's Wes Clifton. And if you didn't hear the review that Wes and I did of Revenge of the Ninja, I highly recommend checking it out. It was a uh, it's a good episode. It's a good time. And you, you can't see Wes right now, but what are you wearing right now, Wes? I got, my, I got my Canon Films hat on again because I guess you brought me back for this one because it's another Canon movie. I was kind of expecting assumption. you to say uh, khakis. Oh, but... yeah, I do have khakis. <laughs> I'm also wearing khakis. I came straight from work. Uh, so tonight we are actually talking about another canon movie and we are discussing life force and this movie came out in 1985 and it was directed by toby hooper hooper as well as written by dan o'bannon it's based on the 1976 colin wilson novel the space vampires space vampires and that kind of gives the plot away a little bit during the opening credits it had a budget of $25 million, and I was actually surprised. It only made $11.6 million at the box office. Yeah, it was a pretty big flop for them. Yeah, but obviously since then, it has had a resurgence on home video, including a bunch of different Blu-ray releases. So if you haven't seen this movie, it is about the joint American and British space shuttle The Churchill, which embarks on a mission to explore Halley's Comet. And in the coma of the comet, they find the uh, 150-mile-long alien spacecraft. And on board, they discover a bunch of dead bats and three naked humanoids, one female and two male. They recover the humanoids, but on their return mission to Earth, the Churchill goes missing and is later discovered completely charred except for the intact bodies of the humanoids. Later on... Uh, Colonel Tom Carlson of the Churchill lands in the ship's escape pod in Texas and is whisked to London where he recounts the events which transpired aboard the Churchill and aids in a hunt for the missing female alien vampire. So I picked this movie. I watched it for the first time a while back at the Retro Film Series, which all three of us are huge fans of. You can check that out at the Carolina Theater in Durham. Highly recommend it one of the best things to do in the triangle man absolutely i would even say it is the best thing to do yeah, in the triangle rules man it's one of my favorite places to be it's a it, it's a rad thing check it out at carolinatheater.org so this was both of y'all's first time 
watching Life Force. Yes, sir. Yes, it was. And uh, Gabe, I guess that doesn't really surprise me too much. Like, I knew you would love this movie. But, Wes, I'm surprised you hadn't encountered this before just because it's a canon film and I know how much you love canon movies. Yeah, I know. Like, and we talked about that a little bit last time I was on. Like, I don't know. I had, I had, I had heard about this movie. I would first heard about it in the um, Electric Boogaloo canon films documentary. Um, and I don't know. They made it seem like it was just, like... I was expecting a real train wreck, <laughs> the way they made it seem like in the uh, Canon Films doc. And Gabe, had you even heard of this movie before? I've heard of it because of Retro, but I'd never seen a trailer for it. I had never heard anything really about it. I just heard the name, and it's like, Life Force is playing. Here's a question I have for both of you. Did seeing that it was based on the book Space Vampires during the opening credits at all spoil the film for you? No, I knew what it was about because of the documentary. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit, but I didn't know necessarily what to expect, so I knew it was about some kind of vampire that came from space, but other than that, I didn't know how they were going to act, how they were going to look, because I went into this totally blind. No trailers, no anything. Yeah, that that's how it was for me, too. Uh, I did, of course, know, just because I saw in the opening credits, okay, space vampires, they're going to be vampires. Clearly, these humanoids are going to be vampires at some point. But even, uh, even with that, I, I wouldn't say that it spoiled it, because this movie, let's be honest, it is batshit. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> uh... I, I'm I'm honestly surprised that uh, it didn't fare better at the box office just because it's it's really unique. I know if I went to see this back in the day, I would have I would have told all my friends to go see it. Uh, I think one of the most unique things to me is is the way that it genre hops so much, and it sort of begins as a straightforward sci-fi film and almost looks like Alien at the beginning, and then it kind of turns into a gothic vampire movie, and then turns into sort of a supernatural mystery and then it goes full zombie film at the end so what what did, what did you guys think of the genre hopping did you like that did you think it was kind of jarring i think it could be jarring at points but this movie can be kind of jarring at some points like just the basic concept of it especially with um the practical effects they had were quite animated oh yes uh, what, what what did you think of the genre hopping? I mean, I thought it was cool, but I mean, you know, I make no secrets about the fact that I'm really into, like, things that are kind of ridiculous and a little bit over the top. I mean, you know, last time I was on, I mentioned uh, Ninja 3 The Domination, which <laughs> does quite a bit of crazy genre. This wasn't like that. This didn't come off quite as cheesy. I thought it was cool, man. It kept you on your toes, and, like, it brought together a lot of influences Things that I think were in the zeitgeist at the time, but also just things that the filmmakers wanted to do. Um, so I thought that was pretty neat. Like, they were just kind of borrowing. Like you said, you gave it a pretty good description there, man. Like, the sci-fi, the gothic elements, um, the the zombie stuff. I mean, you're right. At the end, it was just a straight-up zombie movie. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 agree with what, uh, I agree with what you said, Gabe, about the practical effects. And if I recall correctly, the... A uh, guy in charge of effects was John Dykstra, and he was actually an Academy Award winner. And 
Uh, there are a few elements like that from the film, like how well the special effects are. Like, I think they're better than a lot of modern CG. And also the score, which seem kind of almost out of place because there's clearly a lot of budget put into the score, which was by Harry Mancini with the London Philharmonic. And then it's this kind of schlocky story going on. The music is great. Oh, yeah. The music's great. It, it's pretty epic. You know, you mentioned... Um, would you say John Dykstra? Is that what you said? So is is he the guy from Star Trek: The Motion Picture? So as I was watching this, I, I thought I was thinking like the two movies that kept popping into my head. Well, there were several that it reminded me of, but I at first, like you said, I it had a, it definitely had an alien feel to it. And then I kept thinking like not really the story or anything, obviously, but just kind of some of the ambiance of the movie felt kind of like Star Trek: The Motion Picture. So then today, actually, just to kind of, because I watched this a couple days ago, and it was my first watch, so I was trying to kind of get it back in my brain, and I was watching the trailers, and one of the trailers said, from the writer of Alien, the special effects creator of Star Trek The Motion Picture. So I was surprised by that. I was like, okay, well, this all is coming together, why it felt like that. I did not realize that. Yeah. So what what influences did you see in it, Gabe? I definitely saw Alien. Um... I'm trying to think. I saw a little bit of like I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Like Alien's the big one that's sticking out to me. Yeah, I I mostly saw Alien, and then I was reminded just a lot of a bunch of seventies. And even early 80s horror films like The Manitou or The Changeling, mostly because of how quickly all of the characters just sort of accept the most outlandish possibility. And one of my, uh, like, one moment I can think of is when there's, uh, I can't remember the character's name off the top of my head, but when he kills, he kills a vampire and... He mentions that he did it the old way and just yeah. pulls out like a fucking, I think like a lead line sword. Oh, it's a stake. It's a stake, but it's like a it's like a lead or iron. It's iron. He says specifically. That's right? what it's it an is. Iron stake. So he's talking about like the old vampire myths, which I'm assuming he's talking about just like reading Dracula or something. But you're right. Like he doesn't seem. Well, honestly, as I was watching the movie, I guess probably it says when it takes place. Right? Does it say that? I just missed it at the first. So I assumed it was set in the near future because nobody seems extremely surprised by finding an alien vessel in Haley's <laughs> Cop. Nobody seems extremely surprised. But when I was watching the behind-the-scenes features, Toby Hooper mentions it's set in 1985. Like <laughs> They just kind of accept everything in stride. But wasn't this movie made in 1989? It was 85. Yeah, 85. It's a set the year it is released. I was surprised by that. Yeah. Uh, th- th- at no point is there any surprise. It had the feel of like a in the near future kind of thing, like know? maybe a few years in the future. Yeah, but nope, it was it was supposed to be present day. You know, another thing that you mentioned a minute ago um, was the whole um, gothic vampire movie thing. And it's funny you said that because I was watching some of the behind the scenes stuff on the uh, Blu-ray, and Toby Hooper mentions you know how excited he was to get to do something. And he says, sort of like one of the old Hammer Dracula movies. He was like, I was really excited to get to do something sort of like one of the old Hammer Dracula movies. So there was definitely that influence in it. Yeah, I, I could very much feel that. And I love uh, a lot of the old Hammer Dracula movies as well as Frankenstein films. But I almost wish there were a little bit more of the gothic mm-hmm. vampire 
elements in this movie because it seems like it's just like a brief period when they're in here and then it kind of transitions into kind of a mystery. One one of my favorite sequences was actually when they go visit the mental institution and Patrick Stewart just shows up. Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah, Sir, Sir Patrick, Patrick Stewart. Just respect. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you guys think when he showed up? I saw his name in the in the uh, credits at the beginning, so I was waiting for him. But I mean, hey, I felt the same way I always do when Sir Patrick Stewart shows up. Very excited. Patrick Stewart is always a shining light in anything that he's in. Indeed. Oh yeah, I and but uh, kind of like the gothic vampire parts. I kind of wish that Sir Patrick Stewart had been in this a little bit more. And I was surprised at how scant his role was. Yeah. Mind you, this is before Star Trek The Next Generation. True. Yeah. But I think he was he was still pretty well known at the at the time. But I don't know, I can't like I, I know he had probably done what Excalibur by that point's the only thing I'm thinking of. I'm sure he'd done other stuff too. I mean obviously Excalibur's not the only thing he was known for, but honestly before Next Generation I don't know a ton about Patrick Stewart. When did Dune come out? Hmm. Prior to Next Generation, I'm pretty sure, right? It was. Yeah. He was also in that. That is not a cinematic cinematic masterpiece at all. You know, because they are making a remake of Dune. Oh yeah. Well, it can't be worse than the original. Oh, I know. So maybe I need to go back and rewatch that. I mean, not to get on a tangent. I, I watched it once and I liked it, Dune. But I, I don't know. I haven't watched Dune in about fifteen years. Yeah, it's been a while. That's something for me. I got to revisit. I rented it when I worked at Blockbuster, and I mean, sure, it was free, so I definitely got my money's worth. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I like it. So I don't know. Uh, I think I rented it from DVD Netflix, and uh, oh boy, yeah, it's like I shouldn't have opened that red envelope. You said not to get on a tangent, but you know what? That's basically what our episodes are. Sure. They're long tangents. I think everybody wants to hear people get on a tangent when they talk about movies. <laughs> uh, so would you guys classify this as a cult film? I would qualify it as something that's on a cult, a cult movie in the making. Because people are starting to realize how great this movie really is. And they're taking a liking to it. It's... Not up there yet with some movies, but it's like it's in the beginning of phases where we're gonna start to see a lot more stuff involving this movie. You might even like give it a couple years. We might see Cavity Colors put out a T-shirt for it. Who knows? Like that when when you get things like that, that's when I know you're uh, a real cult classic, like a Monster Squad or something like that. But I think it's it, like it definitely has the the recipe for it, and I see a lot more people liking this movie. Yeah, I'm gonna agree. Like, I think I had obviously, well, like we said, I'd never heard of it until the Electric Boogaloo documentary. Um, but you know, it does have a Shout Factory release. I don't know when that Shout Factory release came out, but it's a pretty cool Blu-ray special edition. So yeah, it's not the kind of thing that everybody's heard of, or you're like, oh yeah, that movie, it's a cult classic. But it has a lot going for it. Like we mentioned, a great score. Um, honestly, pretty well acted. I thought it had a lot going for it, but yeah, it's not one that's like really in the ethos as much as some of the cult classics. But with that, with like the Shout Factory release and like it being mentioned and stuff like the Electric Boogaloo doc, I mean, it probably will it, get out there. Yeah, it, it's it's getting there. Definitely, the fiends are talking about it. Surely, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to kickstart its its rise to it's cult film. Yeah, because yeah, I agree. I, I believe this is one hundred percent a cult caliber film but i just i don't think it's reached that status yet i think it's on the way 
with a bunch of those different Shout Factory releases, including a really cool Steelbook. But yeah, it just hasn't quite made it there yet. So kind of getting back to the different movements that this film has throughout, did you guys have a particular segment that you enjoyed the most? Like, what comes back to me is the part at the beginning where they were going on the alien vessel. Like, I just think that's cool, all the mystery of it. It was really creepy. I, I don't know. I just, that whole part to me, I always like the parts when they discover something mysterious. Like, something outside of their realm of experience. Sort of like in Alien, when, you know, they first kind of, they don't know what's going on. They're just landing and they're looking, you know, any of that kind of stuff I like. So that's what really... As much as I hate to go with the very first part of the movie, that's just what really stuck out to me. Just this whole, like, what's happening, you know, what's this thing in the comet? And then they go on the, the craft, which is creepy looking, the, the vessel. That's the part that stuck out to me the most. I always tend to like the moments in movies when everything starts to get a little batshit crazy. And I'm also a big fan of the practical effects. And when they started absorbing life energy, and they those corpses animated at certain points i really dug that i i loved the way their eyes looked the way they exploded like i'm a sucker for crap like that so that that shit like that makes me really happy yeah that was really well done i think i'm gonna have to side with side with wes a little bit i loved the opening for all the reasons you said it was also just incredibly pretty yeah i love the kind of phosphorescent green of the comet and the way that it almost looks like they're going through like an artery or something for the spaceship which kind of makes sense and then one thing i loved about the spaceship design was just how intentional it was and then at the end it opens up and just starts absorbing all of the life force that is being uh sucked out of people and I thought that was a really cool shot in the third act. It was. Like, everything in this movie, I love. I love everything about this movie. There's not a ton I don't like about it. Yeah. The the story, the acting, the, the practical effects, even the not-so-practical effects. Like, I just, I thought it all looked fantastic. It's, a de- it's definitely a beautiful movie. It's a good, it's like, even without sound, this movie is is good fun to look at and then you add the score and then you add the acting and the plot line to it and it it's if if not a triple it's a home run honestly i'm gonna ask a dumb question i guess we're assuming that everyone before they listen to the episode has seen the masterpiece that is life force so we can we're gonna delve into spoilers oh well we can get into spoilers spoilers. it doesn't matter if people have seen it yeah cool cool (laughs) listen you should watch it (laughs) This movie came out 33 years ago. Sorry, spoiler alert. Yeah. And honestly, the, the plot is so bonkers. You could watch it if you knew We, we could give away it. lots of spoilers, you and you still wouldn't know. Because it it's like on. you just said, Gabe, it, it's a beautiful movie. You know what I mean? To watch. Like, it, it just looks great. It had a lot of great talent behind it, which is what makes me wonder what made it not as successful. And knowing what I know about canon films, I have to wonder how much... Menachem Golan's business model had to do with the movie not being a huge success. Well known that Menachem Golan is this weird... Uh, that's the head of the canon group, if people don't know, uh, Golan and Globus. But um, but Menachem Golan loved movies, and he loved making movies. He was very passionate about it. But he also just 
wanted to make lots of movies. So it was a well-known fact that he churned movies out fast. Uh, Toby Hooper in the, was talking about how he got this movie, and he said basically, like, he had a meeting with Menachem Golan, Menachem Golan slid the novel Space Vampires across the desk and said, you will make this movie. And Toby Hooper said he was kind of like, I don't know, uh, sure, maybe. And he said he read it, and he said like a few within a few days, Canon Group had worked out all the details, and he was getting ready to start making this movie. He's like, that's just how it was, working with the Canon Group. Like, yeah, okay, we're making this movie, I guess. And so it was just like a quick process. But they did throw a lot more money at this movie than most Canon films had thrown at them. So, made a lot more. $25 million is enormous. Yeah. And this even siphons some of the budget from Masters of the Universe. Breaks my heart. It's one of my favorites. And I think, Wes, you can even point to the exact scene where this occurs. Well, so, the story goes that at the end of Masters of the Universe, which as a child, I... And I still think it's just a great movie, but I, I had no idea what was going on. The end of Masters of the Universe, there's this great fight scene between Dolph Lundgren as He-Man and uh, Frank Langella as Skeletor. Amazing as Skeletor in that. And they have this great fight scene, and it's dark, and there's like lightning coming off their swords. And I always just thought it looked great, but the story goes that the reason why that fight scene is in the dark is because Masters of the Universe ran out of money, and the studio shut the lights off on them. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I can't guarantee that's true, but that's what I'm pretty sure that's in the documentary, the Electric Boogaloo documentary, and, and I've heard it elsewhere as well. Uh, so, I've heard that too. Yeah. And I'll go ahead and say this about Masters of the Universe. I watched this as an adult, mm. and I loved it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, the set design is phenomenal. The costumes are great. If I recall correctly, the score was really solid. Yeah, it's good. And I liked how it was sort of these characters that were out of uh, out of time and out of place. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just thought it worked well. It had humor in there. Yeah. It had action. And Frank Langella, I mean, I know we're on a tangent again, but Frank Langella... It's a masterpiece as Skeletor. Like he, it is a great performance, and he always said it was his favorite—at least one of, if not his favorite role—he ever did. That's powerful because yeah. he's had a very prolific career. Yeah, but he loved being Skeletor. Huh. Sorry, Life Force. <laughs> <laughs> Tangents. Uh, we could just make this a, a two mo- a two I mean, movie episode double feature. Films, did you get talking about canon films and like they all kind of bleed together a little bit? Like it was just this weird. Uh, phenomenon of canon films. It was the cut that would not heal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is very true. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I got a question for you. What are your top five favorite canon films? So we talked about that last time I was on, and I'm afraid I'm going to change up the list because I get caught every time by a uh, spur of the moment. I think last I'm going time, to ask you again now well, that you've seen Life Force because well, you're sure if it made the cut. It, I don't know. Maybe. I liked it a lot. Here's the thing though, that I noticed la- after last time. You asked me what my favorite canon films were, and I definitely forgot that Bloodsport is a canon <laughs> film, and I left it off the list, but I love Bloodsport, so it needs to be on there. So... Let me see. I'm going to say Masters of the Universe has to be on there. It's one of my favorite movies anyway. Uh, Bloodsport. Uh, Revenge of the Ninja. American Ninja 2. Part of me wants to say Life Force just because we're watching it and it's so good. Um, (laughs) ah, No, I think if I was going to give it to one more, I might give it to Cobra. Okay. Yeah, my, my five favorites are Life Force, American Ninja 2, Masters of the Universe, Cobra, Revenge of the Ninja. Uh, 
I didn't know what canon was till we watched this movie. So Gabe will not have a list. Uh, next episode, we're going to ask Gabe that question, and he'll have a Blood list Bloodsport is definitely favorites. one of my favorite movies regardless. There it is. So, I love Bloodsport. Bloodsport is, will always be one of my favorite movies. Reach. Um, I have Masters of the Universe yet. is also a movie that I do like. And I like Life Force a lot. And as far as the um, ninja movies goes, I haven't watched them, but I have seen Cobra, and Cobra is also a, a pretty good movie that Grimes I do. the disease, and he's the cure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I didn't know canon was like really a thing that people got into, but if you're selling it to me, guys, I'm 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 all in. I'm down to watch more of these movies. Sweet. <laughs> I just I finally just bought Electric Boogaloo in preparation for this. I, I was tired of like renting it and trying to find it. I just bought it. I was like I've I've watched it so many times at this point. Like I just need to own it. Ooh. So this inspired me to buy Electric Boogaloo, and I would encourage everyone to do the same. Everyone, buy Electric Boogaloo. I'm not affiliated with the Canon Group. Just a big fan. <laughs> this episode brought to you by the, the Canon Group. group. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen that, and uh, I actually have a copy of Bloodsport that that Wes encouraged me to buy on VHS for a dollar. Great value. Yeah, and but I, I still need to I need to get around to watching that one because uh, I haven't yet. Maybe I'll do that this weekend. Uh, with that, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna keep talking about Life Force. Now, going back, you say the ship's tapes were destroyed in the fire. No, they weren't destroyed in the fire. That's what we were told to tell the public. They were erased. Erased. Also, the Churchill's escape pod is missing. What's that mean? Did someone escape? We don't know. Unfortunately, the condition of the bodies make an accurate count impossible. Could the heat from the fire have launched the pod? No, no, no. What started the fire? The ship's oxygen system ignited. It was a terribly hot fire. Yet, you say the three cases containing the bodies were untouched? Correct. Where were they found? In the bay where the space truck was stored. Where everything else was charmed. Incredible. Is it not? Have you examined the cases? Using every technique we have. X-ray scans of the cases yield only blurred images. What does that mean? They're not precisely physical objects. More like a sort of force field. We're a bit out of our depth here. Yeah, the whole thing is... Yes, I know. Incredible. Have they done an autopsy yet on the guard? No, I suppose not. What about your two other bodies? Colonel, may I be excused? I seem to be feeling a little more nauseous than I thought. Yes, of course. I noticed from your door, Dr. Flada, that your area is biochemistry. But I understand your real interest is... Death, Colonel Kane. Correct. Thanatology is the name for it. Death for you, Colonel, is a bureaucratic problem. Who did it? When? Why did they do it? A problem to be solved, am I correct? And for you? Well, I'm fascinated by death itself. What happens as we die, when we die? What happens after we die? You mean life after death? Yes. Is there? What? Life after death. Do you really want to know? No. But to answer your question, yes, I think there is. 
If I am correct, the life force is conserved always and in all things, even after death. And you think that applies to what's happened here tonight? Yes. Yes, I do. I think that girl, creature, drained energy, life force partially from Bukowski and totally from the guard. A vampire? It could be described that way, yes. I mean, in a sense, we're all vampires. We drain energy from other life forms. The difference is one of degree. That girl was no girl. She's totally alien to this planet and our life form, and totally dangerous. Hey guys, we're back and we're talking about Life Force, as well as Masters of the Universe. <laughs> and Bloodsport. And Cobra. You know what? This is just a Canon Films retrospective. Uh, buckle in. We're gonna we're gonna be recording for a few more hours. They made a lot of movies. They did. That's that. They certainly did. Some of them had very high budgets, like Life Force. Some of them had no budget. Probably because they used it all for Life Force. So we've talked a little bit about some of the qualities of Life Force that we really enjoyed. Was there anything you didn't like about this movie? Um, you got something? Um, I feel like the runtime was a bit long. Felt like it could have been maybe 15 minutes shorter. But, um, other than that, I thought this was a pretty standout movie. Now, we were watching the director's cut, so honestly, there is a theatrical cut that is shorter. I've not seen it, <laughs> so. Um, I was a little bit confused, and I think this is why I wanted to say, is it cool if we do spoilers? Because I was a little bit confused by the very end of the movie. Which, being confused about an ending, especially on a first-time watch, is not necessarily a bad thing. So I can't say this is a flaw in the movie. Maybe I just missed it, or whatever. I don't know, is this a time to talk about this? Yeah, <laughs> go, go for it. Because like, maybe you guys can explain to me. So, the main astronaut guy. Like, at one point, she explains that the reason why she is a stunner is because she uh, is, like, his idealized woman, right? She says that at some point. Like, she formed... She doesn't look like that. She looks like the bat creature. But she formed her appearance from his mind but then as she talks to him more and more he says like she chose me and then she's kind of like it was always you and at the end she says you're like us and you always have been and i didn't understand what that meant maybe he had always they sent him to earth at some point maybe but but, but i get that there's i will give you this there are some things that could have been better explained yeah like to me that just if so if if she looks like a human because she is his idealized female human but he has always been like them i didn't understand i guess how did he get his form in the first place so i didn't understand that it's a whole it's a whole nother uh can of worms with that one yeah yeah that that's a great point and i've seen this a few times and i really don't know exactly what to make of that what i interpreted it as is you find out that carlson was a vampire and i guess he was on earth the whole time okay and uh, but he had never had to drain life force or yeah that's right. the part that didn't make sense to me unless he was doing it unwittingly or something yeah but because it, it would like I understand the concept of him having been there because it does insinuate that the spaceship has been to Earth before but yeah I I I don't know what to make of that line but I think maybe that's the only thing that like that. 
I didn't really like. I mean, everything else was really good. Like we said earlier, the score was amazing. It was well acted. It was well written. I mean, there are a few bits of dialogue here and there that like it seemed a little weird, but it seemed like not super well delivered. But you know, whatever. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a canon film. <laughs> they are always going to be those. That's an insightful criticism on my part. You know, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, you guys keep on talking about these movies like they're so horrible. Like it's Troll Two, all right? It's yeah. not. Oh no, 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 no! I, I thought this movie was great. Oh yeah, yeah. No, this this movie was fantastic. There's really very little I dislike. I agree with you about Carlson. That line about he's always been like them. It was kind of confusing and, and not very well fleshed out. And I mean, you could you could make like a prequel or a sequel, delving more into that. And I will also say this: um, Mo kind of cleared it up for me when we watched it. But at the end, the ch- the ship just kind of floats away. It yeah. does. It's not like destroyed. Yeah. It, it, and I don't know if that's because they wanted a possibility of a sequel. Mo's like, "Well, the ship's dead." I'm like, "They never really said that, though." Yeah. You know. Like, I don't know if they wanted a sequel or they, like, were supposed to imply that it was dead. I just didn't get that. You know, I saw them go up into the ship and then it just kind of, like, the lights went off and it floated away. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, kind of ambiguous. Yeah, I did think it was sort of insinuating that the ship was destroyed and was then kind of left derelict and floating in space. Because you see it lit up and then the lights kind of go out and it looks a little wilted as it floats off so my interpretation was that the ship had sort of been destroyed and was just floating off into space but lifeless uh, it was without its life force you might say oh mm. oh oh <laughs> with the knee slappers yeah well, uh, i'll have to put in a little rim shot or something oh, there oh man but yeah, I, I, that one I think is sort of left open to interpretation. But that was that was at least what I thought. The other thing I'll add is I did feel like Matilda May, who was the female space vampire, I thought she was naked for pretty much most of the movie. No objections. And I thought it was at times a little gratuitous. Go for it. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I thought it was at times a little gratuitous. I don't. I don't know if it's it was sexist because she definitely felt like she was in control the whole movie and, I, and a very empowered space we talk, vampire. We talked about that a little bit earlier, but I, I felt like I, I could see that. And obviously, like, yes, we've discussed on the previous time I was on here that canon films, I mean, you know, they did go for some of the more lurid things sometimes to lure in the crowd, whatever. So, I mean, obviously, yes, they could have made the film without her being nude so often um i and it was nude to an extent where like you were like she's been nude quite a bit <laughs> it was yeah, more than was noticeably most, nude in the, in the pre-hbo era i mean that was just not as common <laughs> but like um i thought that what they were doing as we said earlier talking about they did draw a lot on on like vampire lore we talked about how toby hooper was influenced by like the gothic vampire movies and um you know even in the mo- in the movie itself they reference you know being familiar with the vampire lore so going back to stoker i mean vampires use their allure with the opposite sex or even with their own sex whatever they use that allure whether it be a sexual thing or or a, or a hypnotism thing whatever um 
it's just to bring victims to them. So she was his idealized woman, and, and that's why, you know, they made such a big thing about that. She was supposed to be the idealized woman, and she used that to lure people to her, and it worked numerous times. It was supposed to be, like, the ultimate enchantment, almost. Yeah. Like, Dracula, um, everything. Like, vampires in general are supposed to be not... They're supposed to be very, very romantic, suave, yeah. um, good-looking... And I guess that's playing off that. All throughout history, except for maybe like Nosferatu, it, 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 a lot of vampires are portrayed as attractive women and gentlemen. Yeah, and and a lot of that comes from the from the Stoker. You know, he, he kind of did that whole that whole thing. And because you're talking about Nosferatu, which is like kind of how folklore would have it. Right. Starting with Stoker, yeah, like a, a very often they've been portrayed just like you said, like in that very suave, smooth manner. And I think that's what they were playing on with this. Uh, I will comment on that the Blu-ray release, Matilda May does, does about a 10-minute interview. She talks about, um, she didn't even really know if she wanted to be an actress. She had done like a film or two before this, but she didn't really know if she wanted to be an actress. She was a dancer. Uh, and also Toby Hooper in his little interview on there talked about this. They had a very, very hard time casting that role because of the nudity. Like, just people didn't want to be nude that long. He said that he flew in, like, a whole plane load of actresses <laughs> from Germany, and while they were on the plane, they unionized and agreed that they weren't going to do the nude scenes. So by the time this whole plane load of actresses show up to audition, they've all agreed that they're not going to do the nude scenes, and the only person who would do it and obviously that's why she engineered it, was the person that engineered this whole uh, scheme to not do the nude scenes. But <laughs> he had a really hard time. He said he flew in so many actresses because people didn't want to do the nude scenes. Um, and then Matilda May said, obviously, you know, she felt kind of strange about it, but her her agent at the time convinced her to do it, and, and she, you know, she was very happy. She learned English on the set of the film. So, yeah. Yeah, because that's something I, I read about after watching the movie is she apparently did not know english very well going yeah. into this this movie uh so i mean kudos to her i thought she she did a really good job yeah in in this role because i think it, it would have been very possible to uh sort of have it just be reliant upon kind of the nudity but i thought she, i thought she just had a very commanding presence i thought she delivered her lines really well and that's it. I mean, you're you're at the point of it. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, it could have very well been a very exploitative uh, nudity. And I mean, to an extent, like I say, she was nude a lot. I mean, that's a thing that gets talked about about this movie. And I get the feeling that's why in the canon documentary, I don't remember exactly, but I get the feeling that's why they kind of said like this movie was so strange because they were pointing out, you know, how much she had to be nude for. But she does have a presence about her that lends her a great deal of agency. So she's not just the naked chick walking around. She is a She's. I mean, clearly they talk about her being a naked girl a lot, and she's doing that as out of a sexual appeal to get victims and lure people in, but she has a lot of agency to her. And they commented on the fact, Toby Hooper commented on the fact, that she's a dancer. So, you know, her dialogue is minimal, but her presence and the way she holds herself and moves was perfect for the role and to, and to project that presence without dialogue. Which is a, a way that... Vampires and Dracula has been portrayed. Yeah. He's always a very he's a presence in a room. Yeah. The way he dresses, the way he looks, the way he presents himself, it's always he always makes an entrance. Yeah. And he's always the center of attention. Yeah, it's cool. Speaking of vampire movies, Gabe, you got a top five list for us? Um I can't give any particular order. Um, Blade, nice. Bram Stoker's Dracula, 
30 days is night. Um, Hammer, Hammer's Dracula. And what's the, what's another one? Forgot the name of it. John Carpenter's Vampires. Oh. I haven't seen that one. Wes? I I know that my number one is Hammer's Horror of Dracula, or just called Hammer's Dracula in, in England. I love that movie. So Horror of Dracula, hands down. Number two for me, I'm going to go the original Nosferatu. I like the remake a lot as well, but I'm going to go the original Nosferatu. Um, number three, I'm going to have to go with the original Universal Dracula, Bela Lugosi. Mm-hmm. Uh, love that movie. Um, when when Gabe was talking, I, I had mine, and then now I'm losing it after those three. Those are the the big three for me for for vampire movies. Um, I will say I like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie a lot. <laughs> I never really watched the show. Everybody tells me it's great, but I loved the movie growing up, and I still would say I really like that for a vampire movie. And I need number five, and I need one to be a little different than the others. I'm trying to think. Oh, Shadow of the Vampire is is a good one. Um, as well. I want to throw in um, an honorable mention to another movie that is just fantastic, and that would be Salem's Lot. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I like it a lot. Salem's Lot's my favorite Stephen King novel, I, I, and I like the movie version, too. Uh, I'm going to go with, and this is no particular order, but Blade 2. Lost Boys? I'm surprised neither wow. of you said that one. <laughs> you, you let that one slip. <laughs> you're wearing and I'm wearing a Lost Boys t-shirt. <laughs> I'm wearing a Lost Boys teacher. I didn't say Lost Boys. I'm an it. Ladies and gentlemen, I've really lost it today. Lost Boys is one of the best vampire movies but ever I'm made. But I'm staring at the shirt and don't say it. Right, right. Oh, that was a great moment right there. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I'm, I'm saying Life Force. Uh, even though in some ways it doesn't even feel like a vampire movie, which Space we'll get to in a minute. Vampires. And uh Huh. Yeah, I might go with a hammer hammer Hammer's Dracula. That was a tough one. That was on all three lists, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so even though this movie does deal with vampires who are from space in some ways it doesn't really feel like a vampire movie because there's no like blood sucking and i i liked that twist uh and gabe you you mentioned this earlier and i want to get back to a little bit the sort of mechanism for taking someone's life force and you said you like the effects there a lot yeah it was almost like they were sucking out their aura you know and i i even liked the fact that when they were in the ship like they they were doing it almost like telekinetically they were like they were because you could either do it the fast way, which is like sucking it all out, or your presence in a room will just eat at people's life forces. That's why the astronauts started dying, and now that's a, a reason why I think maybe why um, he didn't need to get life force that much because maybe him living among human society, he was just sucking little bits at all points, and then. He got into a small room with a lot of people, and maybe she she it killed them. Not because it wasn't just one person doing it; it was all these human these humanoids doing it. Plus him, he was eating their life force too, and that's probably why the astronauts died. 
That's a good point. I didn't think about that because there are several times in the film when they intentionally leave someone alive so they don't have to drain it all the way. They can drain right. it somewhat. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. that uh, I thought there was some decent world building there. I would be really curious to know how draining someone's life force works more specifically, like if that has to be intentional or if it's just kind of instinct and if you need to top your life force up i think it's it's it. almost like um like breathing almost like you you can do it unintentionally which is why you can just like walk around maybe get some off of you get some off of you it's kind of like breathing but like i feel like when they just like suck it straight it's kind of like taking like a deep breath it's like i'm intentionally breathing <gasps> you know yeah. like that's how i feel it, it must be like yeah it's interesting yeah, that was, a, that was a good comparison. I liked your parallel between sucking someone's life force out and breathing. Um, one one thing that kind of confused me was just how easy it was to kill the two male vampires at the beginning. Well, no, they survived that, yeah? They come back later. It was a, it was a, a trick. Yeah. And they come back later. But it seemed like they went down pretty quickly. You mean even at the end when they get them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the focus was on Matilda May's vampire. Most yeah, of the time. yeah. They, uh, you'd think they would be a little bit more intelligent. Yeah, and and they really were the decoys. Because <laughs> yeah. this is what I really think. I really think that she was in charge of the whole operation. Oh yeah, and and these were henchmen or or just sacrifices to the cause, basically. Yeah. Another thing, I'm going to nerd out for a second here, but you guys did the D&D movie last time. <laughs> and what I'm thinking is, like, the drow in Dungeons & Dragons like are a matriarchal society. So for all we know, the space vampires are a matriarchal society, and, and she's like the queen bee, you know what I mean? So maybe maybe that's what we're talking about. I mean, she definitely seemed to be the one who seemed to be in charge of the whole operation. The other guys did seem to be, like, her henchmen, sort of. I will say, the part at the end when the one male vampire straight up turns into the bat creature and he, like, stakes him was awesome that was really that was phenomenal (laughs) the uh like i loved the effects for the bat i love that creature design yeah that was that was one of my favorite scenes actually the the quick transformation i wish there that shot dwells on the bat carcass just a little bit more because that was that was pretty impressive uh i was i loved that part and actually it got me kind of curious if the bat creatures could mimic pretty much any life form. Is is that sort of what was insinuated? I think that's kind of what was insinuated because I feel like they were waiting for somebody to stumble across them, but they have to be able to mimic themselves after anything mm-hmm. to steal anything's life force. I think this is something that their race has been doing for for thousands and thousands of years across this universe different universes they have to be able to to change on a fly yeah that's the impression i got as well yeah that was that was sort of what i assumed and i almost wish that there had been a scene with one of the vampires mimicking like an animal something or something else, like yeah, that so you would see yeah because i think that would have just been really cool to cool to take a look at uh so why don't we rate this bad boy Wes, you want to go first as the guest of honor man yikes so i've been really struggling i am not good at rating movies and i said that last time i'm on here like i am just such a like i get really enthusiastic about movies and i'm just like everything's five stars yay um i'm not gonna give it five stars obviously but i I really liked it more than i 
was expecting to, in all honesty. Like, I, I liked it more than I was expecting to. As I said, the, the Electric Boogaloo kind of made me think I was getting ready to see something that was a train wreck. But it was really good. Um, and even just talking about it today has, like, I think made me appreciate it even more. Like, I kind of want to go back and do another rewatch already. I'm going to go 3.5. Okay. Yeah. Gabe? I'm going 3.9 on this one. I think it's almost a four. I think there's a couple things that detract it from getting up into the fours and fives. But I thought, all in all, this is a pretty stand-up movie. Like, definitely want, want to make this part of my collection. Like, maybe I'll go on Shelf Factory as soon as I leave here and buy the steel book for $22 that, that Wes let me know about while we were at dinner before making this podcast. Also not affiliated with Shout Factory. Just a fan. <laughs> <laughs> this episode brought to you by Shout Factory. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to give this one a five. I fucking love this movie. Ooh. It's, uh, it, it's just purely fun to watch. And when I went into it, especially when I saw, uh, Space Vampire, based on Space Vampires, I thought this movie, like like you said, Wes, was just going to be a complete and total shit show. But it was just it was fun to watch. It was very well made technically. the The score was phenomenal. The effects have aged ridiculously well, and I think even still top a lot of uh, current films. I loved the lighting a lot. There were some really vivid colors, especially at the end with this kind of bright blue, and at the beginning with this phosphorescent green. And I, I liked the idea of alien vampires. I thought it was executed really well. I like the genre hopping. Yeah, I have, I have very few complaints. I mean, there, there's some flaws, but I, I think a, a lot of the technical prowess kind of helps to compensate for that. I really want to check out the novel Space Vampires now. Like, I read a little bit about it after this, and so we talked about it earlier. Like, I'm a big Lovecraft fan, and apparently the novel is very Lovecraftian. Like, it was supposed to be, like, kind of, like, not a, not an homage, really, but the guy was really influenced by, like, Lovecraft's style. And I, I'm really curious to check out the novel Space Vampires. Like, it sounded interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'm into that. Yeah, just watching the movie piqued my interest in it as well. Satellite Fiends has been sponsored by... Space vampires. Space vampires. <laughs> so, hey, another thing that I, I, I thought about earlier and I wanted to say, but I couldn't find a good time to squeeze it in, so I'm squeezing it in right now, is just talking about the design. We were talking about, like, the design and how cool we thought all that stuff was. So Toby Hooper specifically in the, in the uh, Extra Features talks about um, the ship, and he talks about how his first idea was just to take something like a gothic, sort of like Dracula's castle, and just put it kind of up there as a spaceship, like floating around <laughs> space, sort of. And that's kind of... Then he said, you know, they started working with the designs, and he likes what it came out with. He wanted it to stay very gothic-looking. But he specifically said, which is funny, because I thought it was sort of reminiscent of Giger, like a little bit. Uh, yeah. But yeah. he said specifically he didn't want anything to look like Giger, because he had Dan O'Bannon working on this, <laughs> which, you know, they had just... Uh, uh, not long before this... Toby Hooper had been working on Return of the Living Dead and had turned it down for Life Force. And so that's why Dan O'Bannon did Return of the Living Dead before he came on to help write this. But um, but since he had Dan O'Bannon writing it, he didn't want it to be like aliens. He didn't want it to look like Giger. But I kind of thought it still did. But I cool. agree. I thought it I thought it had that vibe. Yeah. And then I even thought the ship interiors at the beginning totally looked like they were from the Nostromo. Yeah. But well, yeah, ultimately it did. The suits and everything. Yeah. yeah. It was it was very reminiscent of that. Apparently, a lot of the crew also worked on 2001. Oh, that explains a lot, too. Yep. That clears up quite a bit. 
Yeah, so this is a movie, a movie that if you if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. Even if you have, I think this movie deserves a rewatch. Uh, I've seen it, I think, two or three times since watching it uh, in a theater a couple months back, and it, ha- it just has a lot of replay value. That's cool. Yep. That's our show for the night, guys. Thanks for listening. Once again, if you haven't already done so, check us out on iTunes. Google Podcasts, Podcast Addicts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Mitchell C. Long on Twitter and Instagram. Can I do a plug? Oh, yeah. All right, cool. So last time I was on here, I mentioned my writing a little bit. Um, I did just um, two weeks ago um, have a poem come out in an anthology from Rogue Blades Entertainment. It's an anthology. You can buy it on Amazon.com. It's called Crossbones and Crosses, and it's an anthology of stories about pirates, crusaders, and a mixture of the two. So, like, one section's about pirates, one section's about crusaders, and one section they mix all together. Rogue Blades Entertainment, like, if you're into adventure or fantasy or really they were kind of known at first for sword and sorcery, which I love, but they just kind of specialize in heroic fiction now. Uh, They put out some great stuff, and I'm really pleased to have this poem in Crossbones and Crosses, so... Uh, it would be awesome if people would pick that up. And, and like I say, my poem's in there, but there's tons of great stories in there. So That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Hey, thanks. I appreciate uh, it. I will definitely pick that up. And all you listeners out there, you should grab a copy as well. And if you want to hear about my other fiction, you can go to my website. It's just wdclifton.wordpress.com. So. Oh